Blog Talk Radio. broadcast of the Rifleman Radio Show. The Rifleman Radio Show is sponsored by the Appleseed Project, which is a program uh, administered by the Revolutionary War Veterans Association. The Revolutionary War Veterans Association, of course, is dedicated to honoring the memory of the founders, honoring the memory of the men and women who sacrificed so much so long ago so that we could have our our today. They sacrificed their tomorrow so that we could have our todays. <clears throat> now I'm gonna be uh I'll be running without the chat apparently tonight. Yeah, you guys will probably have it. I just can't get it to uh to open up I have a direct line to it from uh, from my host page, but, I'm, but I'm, apparently I've got a, a good deal of uh, trouble with the uh, with the internet service. So if it opens up fine, if not, uh, you guys have always uh, you've, you've always been pretty much able to run on your own there. <coughs> so I'll try and uh, refresh it a little bit later on. Let's go ahead and get started with the the list of upcoming events. Uh, we just had a string of great events uh, this last weekend, the uh, June 20th and 21st, uh, all across the states. And uh, now we're running up into the end of June, 
and the beginning of July for the event. And uh, there are quite a few of them. It's about anywhere in the country. <clears throat> if, you, uh, if you have a hankering to uh, go to an Appleseed event, you're going to find one just about uh, well under a day's range anywhere you are in the nation. Dalton, uh, New Hampshire, June 25th and 26th. That's a Thursday and Friday event. Albuquerque, New Mexico, June 27th and 28th. That's the Saturday and Sunday, the weekend event. Cloverdale, Indiana, June 27th and 28th. El Paso Community College, El Paso, Texas, June 27th and 28th. Once again, El Paso Community College, the Law Enforcement Center, is an indoor range. That means it's climate controlled, dust free, uh, nice and clean and cool. However, uh, there's only 20 positions available. So if you'd like to make sure that you have a, a place on the line in El Paso, what you're going to need to do is go to appleseedinfo.org. Appleseedinfo, one word, dot org. Up in the top left-hand corner of the website, the homepage there, is a drop-down menu that says uh, Appleseed. <clears throat> You'll click on that and then uh, scroll down to Schedule. Click on Schedule, and that will take you to the Schedules page. And then the events will be listed in order uh, of their dates. And then you'll have the, uh, the, uh, the cities listed beside them. So you look at the, uh, look at the city and the date, match the two up that, uh, where you want to be on what, what day and what city. And then just to the right of that are two other hot links. One says information. And if you click on that one, it will give you the information for that specific event. Uh, where it's going to be, where the event is located, uh, any special information that you'll need for it, directions on how to get to the location. And then right next to that hot link is another one that says register. We'd like for you to pre-register every time you can because that does two things. Number one, it ensures that you have a place on the line, that your location is uh, guaranteed. And uh, when you only have 20 shooting positions, and uh, quite a few of our ranges have limited facilities. That means you're only going to get uh, X amount of folks on the line. We can't just keep expanding and expanding. You only get X amount of folks on the line, then we'll have to shut it down. And then uh, whenever you get to that city and that date that you would like to go to, <clears throat> instead of seeing the two blue links to the right of it, you'll see one red word that says canceled, either canceled or filled. That would mean you can no longer uh, go to that event. However, if folks pre-register for the event early enough on, and we can see that the event is filling up, then we will do everything in our power uh, to secure additional line uh, on the firing line, additional space. <clears throat> this also allows us to ensure that we have uh, the right number of instructors 
the right number of supplies and equipment there for you. We'd like to make sure that we have a, a good instructor-to-student ratio. And it's hard to get that without knowing how many folks are coming. So when at all possible, please pre-register. And you can do that once again by going to appleseedinfo.org. To the top left-hand corner of the page, it says Appleseed. Click on that. The menu will drop down and then go to Schedule. Click on Schedule, and that will give you a list of the current events <clears throat> across the nation. All right, Greensburg, Kentucky, June 27th and 28th. Greensburg has been moved. So there won't be an event in Greensburg this uh, on the 27th and 28th. It's been moved. And we'll let you know uh, where, it, when, and where it's moved to as soon as we know. Kimmermere, Wyoming, 27th and 28th of June. Uh, Oxford, Kansas, June 27th and 28th. Fourier, Tennessee, June 27th and 28th. And that will finish up the month of June. All right, now we're into July, the first weekend in July, which is July 4th weekend. Now, we're hoping to change folks' uh, minds and attitudes about July 4th. Traditionally, it's a family holiday, and it still can be. The only thing that we'd like to do is move it uh, from your backyard to the Appleseed Range, to the firing line. <clears throat> I mean, can you think of a better way to spend uh, July 4th, uh, the celebration of our independence, than on the line with the... Uh, 50 other patriotic Americans learning to uh, develop the skills and techniques uh, of the only sport in, endorsed by the founding fathers. <laughs> All right, July 4th and 5th. Castle Rock, Washington. Birmingham, Alabama, July 4th and 5th. Davila, Texas, July 4th and 5th. Ottawa, Illinois, July 4th and 5th. Ramsur, North Carolina, July 4th and 5th. Raton, New Mexico, that's at the NRA Whittington Center, which is a really nice place. And we've got some really great instructors here. Uh, you'll really enjoy yourself at this event, at this location. And uh, they've assured me that they will keep uh, the weather at a nice, uh, cool, dry New Mexico temperature for you on the 4th and 5th. Stinson, West Virginia, July 4th and 5th. Augusta, Georgia, July 11th and 12th. Troop, New York, July 11th and 12th. I'll be uh, at that event. Virginia Beach, Virginia, July 11th and 12th. Mannheim, Pennsylvania, July 18th and 19th. Miamisburg, Ohio, July 18th and 19th. Fort White, Florida, July 18th and 19th. Uh, Oxford, Kansas, July 18th and 19th. Uh, just a minute. Let me make sure that I didn't give you the wrong information. Fort White, Florida, July 18th and 19th. That one's been moved also. Uh, it doesn't say here why, uh, but we will certainly let you know when and where it is moved to. Peru, California, July 18th and 19th. Proctor, Vermont, July 18th and 19th. I'm going to try and make that one also. Winslow, New Jersey, July 18th and 19th. Beaver Falls, Pennsylvania, July 25th and 26th. Bridgeport, California, July 25th and 26th. Danville, Illinois, July 25th and 26th. El Paso Community College, 
El Paso, Texas, July 25th and 26th. Now, as I was telling you before, this is uh, the indoor range, and it only has the 20 shooting positions. So if you want to shoot, if you want to shoot in, in the middle of July, in the middle of a hot Texas summer out in West Texas, and you want to do it without sweating, then uh, go to the El Paso Community College in El Paso, Texas, July 25th and 26th. Gibsonburg, Ohio, July 25th and 26th. Halstead, Pennsylvania, July 25th and 26th. La Crescent, Minnesota, July 25th and 26th. Lodi, Wisconsin, July 25th and 26th. Perrier, Tennessee, July 25th and 26th. Reno, Nevada, July 25th and 26th. Riley, Indiana, July 25th and 26th. Simsbury, Connecticut, July 25th and 26th. Sioux Falls, South Dakota, July 25th and 26th. That will take us to the end of July. Okay, I'm going to try and uh, refresh the chat room here. Okay. Appleseed is a rifle marksmanship and safety organization. But on top of that, we teach an absolutely fantastic history lesson. Now, we can't teach you the complete history of the United States in one weekend, much as we would like to, as enjoyable as it would be. We can't do it. However, we can give you an intense three-part story on the beginning of history in the United States, the beginning of this nation, the start, the actual birth date of this nation, and that's April 19, 1775, the events that occurred at Lexington, on Lexington Green, and then later at the North Bridge, in Concord. And then from the Concord, the battle road along back to Boston. We can talk to you about these three uh, events on April 19th, 1775. We could actually make a whole day of that very easily. We can make two days of that very easily. A very exciting time in our history, a very exciting date the beginning of a nation, the birth of a nation. Now, when we tell you the story of April 19, 1775, we're going to be telling you about folks who did not sit idly by and assume that they would be taken care of by their government. That's not the type of folks that uh, these people were. They had decided among themselves that they would take action, that they would do something, that they, as the people who actually made up the country, the people who lived there, that they should have a say in how it was being run. Nowadays, 
seems that Americans are willing to sit in their own little fogs and uh, just take whatever the government and the folks in Washington say and do uh, as the last word on how the country should be run, on how, uh, on what should happen in this country. Now, the founding fathers, the men and women who made these sacrifices, I can only imagine that they're spinning in their graves, that they have tears of anger running down their cheeks. because they'll be thinking about all these sacrificed. So that the real government in this country, the people, the we, the people of these United States, just as the document details them, would always have the last say. Imagine they think that they, the sacrifices they made are all in vain. It doesn't have to be like that. One of the things that we do at an Appleseed event, now we don't get involved in politics. Matter of fact, politics is none of our business. Who you vote for, that's none of my business. That's none of anybody's business. What do you want to vote for, that's none of my business either. What is my business is making sure that you understand that it's your sacred obligation to vote for someone to vote for something, to stand for something. I've made it my business to make sure that you know that that's your duty. It is your duty to stand for something. Not to just sit in a fog and spin. Take a direction. You can even do it uh, like they used to do in the cartoons, where you sit there and you spit in your hand, and then you smack it with a finger, and whichever way the largest uh, piddle of spit goes, that's the direction you can go in. That's fine with me, as long as you pick a direction and go in it, as long as you do something, as long as you're not being led by the nose uh, to a place you don't want to be, to a place you don't want to end up in, to a time when you're going to say, hey, What happened? How did we get here? Man, I must have been asleep. How did this happen? Wow. What a surprise. What a shock. I thought somebody else was looking out for me. I thought somebody else had the wheel. And that's exactly what you're going to say when you wake up. Because no one's looking out for your best interest. You better wake up right now and understand you are the person who best knows what you need. You are the person who best knows how to spend your money. You are the person who has a sacred obligation to be awake and safeguarding the rights and liberties that you have now preserving this country, preserving the heritage, the rights, 
the liberty, the freedom that this country has offered you, has offered all Americans for 234 years. So that's the message that you're going to hear. All right, I think uh, I still cannot get the chat to pull up. And uh, Sam, I believe you just called in, CMD. If you want to call back, I'll be glad to put you on. <clears throat> if you'd like to call in this evening, the number is 347-308-8790. Once again, that number is 347-308-8790. Uh, and once you get on here, once it uh, picks up, give it just a few seconds because uh, it's not uh, refreshing like it should. I don't think it's a... Uh, uh, a blog talk problem. I think it actually has to do with my satellite. <clears throat> and then I'll get you on the air as soon uh, as I can. <clears throat> you have a sacred obligation to be doing this. Each and every American has this sacred obligation. Not to uh, not to be told how to vote by anyone. Not to uh, listen to what anyone says about who they should vote for. You make that decision yourself. When you find out the information, do your homework, and then vote according to the research that you've done and to your heart, to what you want. To be aware of what's going on around you. Don't wait until a law has been proposed, voted on, passed, and implemented. And then two or three years down the line, you say, wow, when did that happen? How did that law get into place? Because if I would have known about that, I think I might have done something about it. I might have tried to stop it. Be aware of what laws and bills are going on. Stay in contact with your senators and your congressmen for your state and for your country. Be on a, uh, have a easy working, polite working relationship with them. Even if, uh, even if you don't agree with anything they say, they're still required to listen to you when you call. They're still required to listen to you as long as you speak politely to them. As long as you don't start yelling or cursing or become abusive, then they have to listen to what you have to say. They have to listen to your needs and uh, your wants for, the, for your state and for your country. <clears throat> Get used to speaking to them. Get used to communicating your needs because of two things. One, your representatives may actually want uh, the same thing that you want. But they just don't know what it is you want. So you owe it to them to tell them. You owe it to them pardon me, to get in touch with them and communicate your needs 
uh, your desires to them so that they will know. We don't have a lot of power uh, as, uh, as individuals, but one of the things that we do have is the power of the vote, which is actually the strongest power of all. Because if there's anything that a politician fears, it's losing that seat, losing that position that they have. And you're just the person that can do it to them. You're just the person that can withhold that vote or vote against them. Let them know your needs. Let them know your wants. Without that, they got nothing to work on. They got no way. They have no way of knowing how to satisfy you, how to make you happy, which is what they want to do to keep their jobs. So you communicate your needs and wants as politely and as clearly as possible to them. You can do that in emails, uh, phone calls, written letters, whatever your. Uh, Whatever your specialty is, make sure that you're using it to communicate with your representatives. Let them know what you need. Let them know what you want. Let them know what a deal breaker is going to be at election time. Let them know which vote is going to make you happy. It's going to make you pull out your wallet and contribute to their re-election. Let them know which vote is going to cause you to get into that uh, into that booth and pull the lever for their opponent. You have to communicate uh, your wishes and your needs very clearly to these folks. And don't think that... Uh, when you're getting on the telephone with them, that your voice is a single voice. That what is it going to be? What does it matter? I'm just one person. Well, that's not true. That's not true at all. Matter of fact, it's just the opposite. Politicians are well aware of the the apathy and, and laziness of American voters today. They know that uh, very few are going to get out to the vote. And even much fewer are ever going to try and communicate with them. So they know that the ones that do communicate with them are actually representing a huge number of the folks who won't, repre- uh, who won't get in touch with them. Your one call, and they actually have software and uh, mathematical equations that will actually tell them how many folks your vote uh, represents. So you, in effect, are actually a mini-representative uh, of the people in your community when you call in. How do you think that uh, folks like, uh, uh, I'm not going to name any organizations, but how do you think that, uh, that some of the radical groups get their agendas pushed through? Because they mobilize folks uh, to call and to lobby their senators and representatives in uh, much greater numbers uh, than they're proportional uh, they are to the community. 
And that's how they get it done. That's how they get stuff passed. Stuff that you think would never pass, stuff that you think would never make it through, and it does. That's why. Well, you have the exact same powers. And you even have a lot more folks uh, to wield those powers. All you have to do is find those that are willing to wield those powers. Let you yourself become one of those. You yourself become one of those folks who is ready and willing to wield that power, to become a mini-representative to your community. Because of the fact that so few people will call in or will speak to their representatives, <clears throat> means that when you call in, your one phone call may actually represent uh, 5,000 voters, 10,000 voters, 20,000 voters, 40,000 voters, who knows. But it's going to be many, many more than just one. Each time you call in, each time you speak to them, they're going to be representing thousands of other folks. So don't think that your voice is going to be a lonely voice in the wilderness, a little ant that can be squashed uh, under someone's thumb because that's not how it works. Take the time to call in. Take the time to ensure that you have been communicating your needs, your wants, your wishes, your desires, your demands to your representatives. Make sure that you do it in a polite, uh, non-abusive fashion. And they'll be required to listen to you as long as you remain that way. You start raising your voice, you start yelling, uh, you start arguing, or you become abusive or name-calling, that will be the end of the phone call. And they're, they're legitimate uh, in their uh, in their hanging up on you then. They have the right to if you do that. So don't do that. Okay? Speak in a calm voice. Have your list, the list of things you want, uh, why you want them, and uh, communicate it clearly to your rep. If you don't want to do that, just uh, we have we can make it very easy on you. We have what we call the 60-second letter, and all that is is uh, it's just like a little postcard that you send to your representative, and it says, uh, "Do not vote for HB XYZ76219." Signed, yours truly. Uh, it only takes a few seconds, and yet it means so much. If you don't speak to your representative, if you don't communicate your wishes to them, then don't be sitting there shaking your head or stomping your foot when the vote comes down for the other side. You have to be a part of the machine in order to fix it. <clears throat> At the Alpsy program, we're building the machine now. And this machine is like a huge Paul Revere machine. Because what we're doing is we're attempting to build a huge machine that keeps building. Every time it has an event, it adds a few more pieces to itself. And we don't change our mission. Our mission stays the same. 
the machine just gets bigger and hopefully more effective, although, uh, although at times uh, it's hard to see if that's true or not. Uh, so the mission is to continue to reach out farther and farther to bring more and more people into events so that at the events they can hear the message. They can hear about the the words from the Founding Fathers, about the people who felt so important, felt it was so important, that they make a stand for their freedoms and their, and their liberties. That they gather together at Lexington Green on April 19, 1775. That they gather together again at the North Bridge in Concord on April 19, 1775. That they fought the British to a standstill along Battle Road back to Boston on April 19, 1775. And then eight long bloody years after, until they had reached their independence. And then they began to build a new nation, a nation unlike any that had ever been seen before or since. A truly wonderful experiment and freedom and liberty. <clears throat> if you'd like to call in, the number tonight is 347-308-8790. And remember, if you're... Uh, if you're asking any questions of me or saying anything on the, the chat program tonight, I can't see it. Uh, I guess I have been, my bandwidth, I think, has been cut off by uh, by the satellite company, and uh, I can't get enough bandwidth, I guess, to open the chat. <clears throat> but if you'd like to call, call in, you're welcome to, to call in or to relay any messages or questions from the from the chat room, I'll be glad to uh, answer any questions. And the number is 347-308-8790. So you come to an Appleseed event, and you will hear the story. And that's what we call it, the story of April 19, 1775. As I said before, we can't tell you the whole history of America, we can't even tell you uh, the history of the uh, eight long and bloody years of the American Revolution, and not into it justice in two days. But what we can do is, in the course of uh, several hours, uh, broken up into several parts, in the course of the two days, is we can give you a very detailed uh, examination of the events that occurred at Lexington Green, later at the North Bridge in Concord, and then uh, along Battle Road back to Boston which began the Siege of Boston, of course, and began the American Revolution. We can give you those three dates, those three uh, parts of the story, so that you'll understand how exciting our American history is. Now, it's very seldom taught anymore at school. It's, uh, it's become archaic and, uh, and dusty and dry and crumbly, and, and it's relegated... Uh, to the shadows, and it shouldn't be, because that was a time 
that the folks, that the, the idea of what this country was meant to be, of what this country could be, that was a time when those ideas were crystal clear in people's minds, crystal clear about what this country should do. And I'm not saying that there wasn't a great deal of uh, debate about it. Uh, sometimes I, I, I have to be, uh, admit that I'm a bit bewildered, uh, especially during the last uh, six or seven years, when Americans seemed that they were so impatient with the Iraqi government, whenever the Iraqis did not form an instant, uh, an instantaneous democratic government uh, within a year or two, that the Americans were just, uh, a lot of Americans, I say a lot, not all of the Americans, but a lot of the Americans uh, were just, uh, were just amazed. They just couldn't believe it. What's stopping them? What's stopping them? They could have already had a big government by now. Why are we still there? <clears throat> I don't think they realized that it was eight long years for us, and that's just for the war for independence. We're not talking about how much longer it took to create a working government and then get the kinks out of it. We're talking about 25 years. It didn't happen in one year. And we were a country that was already running on a model very closely resembling uh, what we had afterwards. In Iraq, they're following not, they have never experienced a form of government like that, a form of government such as we have today. And yet, we're demanding that they instantaneously produce a working government and uh, get on with it. <clears throat> Americans have become so uh, they've become a culture of instant gratification uh, with no type of memory whatsoever. Within a year of the events at the World Trade Center Folks, we're already forgetting it. Let's forget about that. Let's move on. That's just a year. Think about how long those people would last uh, trying to remember about the American Revolution. Well, that was 234 years ago. There's no way in Hades that they're going to uh, they're going to go back that far. And yet, that's exactly what they should be doing. You know, there's the the old saying of those. Uh, those who do not study history, those who do not know history, are doomed to repeat it. And, of course, <laughs> it's absolutely true. It's absolutely true. There is nothing new under the sun. There is nothing new under the sun. And by that I mean there is not something that someone hasn't tried before. Okay? Think about that for a minute. There is not something that someone else, somewhere else in this history, has not tried before and produced an answer for you as to how and what that will, uh, uh, that uh, A plus B will sum up to. 
If you'll go through the history, if you will uh, read through the history, you will see very easily what A plus B produces. That's the benefit of it. All right, uh, area code 575, you're on the air. Area code 575 491, you're on the air. How's it going, Scout? Okay. It's Sam. Sam? Okay. Did you call earlier? No, I didn't. I just got on the phone. Okay, well, good. Well, somebody had called earlier, and uh, my, uh, my, Satellite. I don't think that uh, it has really given me Hades tonight, so it's not. Uh, I have no idea what's going on in the chat room because it won't refresh and open it, and uh, and I don't know how the the switchboard here is uh, just kind of arbitrarily showing numbers. Welcome to the show. How's life treating you? Uh, how's life treating you this week? Pretty well. Pretty well. I'm getting everything prepped up to go to Albuquerque this weekend. Meet all these new shooters we're going to have up there and have a chance to get on the range with Blue Feather again. How's Blue Feather and Tyler Squawk doing? Real good. They've been doing some writing for us, you know, uh, publishing it on the board. And uh, they're working real hard. They're spreading the word and uh, going out and teaching. And they're working to perfect that teaching to a perfect it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are all doing a great job. How about the uh, radio? Anything uh, anything more going out in New Mexico? No, nothing new. Uh, we're still where we were last week, but uh, we're not quitting either. Okay. Well, I'm still working on... Uh, uh, well, I'm working out across the whole country on, uh, on radio, but I'll also uh, give you guys a hand in New Mexico, too, and carrying up some stations there. Uh, you guys have the NRA Whittington Center coming up at the end of the month, and now you've got Albuquerque coming this next weekend. That's right. Albuquerque this weekend and the Whittington Center for the 4th of July. And I can't think of a better place to run a 4th of July shoot. No, I imagine it's going to be great. Uh, can you think of what's the... Uh, are you near a radio? No, I, I I got some background noise. I think we got it done now. Okay, all right. I I was hearing three or four echoes of of myself there for a second. Uh, what is the uh, temperature going to be uh, in Albuquerque this coming weekend? Well, it should be in the low nineties. We may even have some rain. Okay, you guys got overhead cover at the uh, shoot? We do. All we do. All right. There you go. It's going to be a dry New Mexico heat, overhead cover. Uh, imagine you'll have a good breeze. Keep it down below. Uh, keep it right at about uh, 18 to 18 to uh, 14 knots. That's a, that's enough of a breeze there, without running it up to uh, without running it up to 40. <laughs> <laughs> no, we'll have good weather up there. Uh, even uh, on its worst days, uh, Albuquerque has some pretty good weather. And uh, we'll have a good turnout out there. What about the uh, Whittington Center? Now, that's that's higher up, right? Right. That's, uh, oh, I want to say it's about 7,000 foot. I could be wrong, but 
It, okay. It's a good piece up for elevation, and it's uh, always a little cooler. I was going to uh, say, I told, I, told, uh, I told folks earlier on in the program when I was giving out the schedule of events that I thought that that would be a, uh, a cooler location for the 4th of July, and I believe that it will be. Uh, even if it's not, it's so dang pretty that, uh, that you won't mind the heat. It's, uh, it's usually 15, 20 degrees cooler than Albuquerque there. Okay, they're, they're 61, 6,200 feet, and uh, they're, uh, it's pretty nice up there. It's in the mountains, and you get a nice little breeze coming through, and uh, it's a very pleasant place. Even when the sun's out, you have enough, uh, enough grass and stuff up there. The humidity's good, and, and that little breeze keeps you relatively cool. Well, good. And uh, I haven't been there yet. I've seen plenty of uh, pictures of the location. And uh, I'm going to try hard to get there uh, this year. It'll be after the summer. Uh, I'm shooting for the fall so that I can uh, wear uh, my nifty uh, apple seed red hooded sweatshirt uh, while I'm there. Since I very seldom get to wear it anywhere else. I'll be up in troop. <laughs> For the uh, uh, shoot, the weekend after the fourth, I guarantee you it's not going to be uh, cool there. No, I won't be wearing the uh, the apple seed hoodie there. It looks like we're going to have 90 or 92 on Saturday in Albuquerque, and that'll be good up there. Just a little breeze and, and some clouds. It'll be a, that'll be a real pleasant shoot up there. All right, and uh, I also want to make sure that uh, the folks that are listening uh, that we get out the fact that uh, Blue Feather, in addition to being one of our finest instructors and uh, and a very professional instructor and very easy to look at, that she's also makes uh, handmade soap and. Uh, we're not getting any money from uh, telling anybody about it. What, what we're hoping to get is that if more people buy soap, then she has more time to teach, that she has more time to instruct for the Apple Seed Program. So uh, give out her website. Sure, it's uh, bluefeather.bizhosting.com. Okay, bluefeather.bizhosting.com. And she has tons of handmade soap there, different kinds of handmade soap. I still have some from the uh, from when I went and instructed there. She was kind enough to give me six bars of it, one for each of my kids, and one for, for one for each of my five daughters, and one for my wife. And uh, uh, I managed to hide uh, a couple of the bars uh, from them so that I could still use them. And uh, it is some great soap. Uh, don't, I don't want you to think I'm a sissy just because I'm using handmade soap because it's some good soap. And uh, I'm sure that if you talk to her, uh, you could uh, send her a message on that website, bluefeather.bizhosting.com. Uh, did I get that right? You got it right. Okay. That uh, You could get her phone number or you could uh, send her an email, and I'm sure she would be glad to... Uh, even make some custom kind of soap for you. And the soap is very affordable. Matter of fact, uh, 
probably going to have to get each and every one of you guys uh, to buy a bar tonight so that she can uh, end up hosting an extra weekend sometime this summer because that's how affordable <laughs> it is. Uh, I mean, the prices are very, very affordable. <clears throat> and it's excellent soap. So if you guys will uh, take a look at that website uh, and then uh, decide on what kind of soap you want there. Uh, and I believe that uh, at one point she said that she was going to make uh, some uh, shaving soap and some uh, mustache wax. I don't know if she if she ever made that wax. She was gonna, I think that uh, Sam had tried to talk her into making some mustache wax uh, for him and putting it on the market. Uh, I don't know if she's done that yet. Has she managed to get you any mustache wax, Sam? Not yet, but I'm pretty sure she's working on it. She wouldn't put one out unless it was really good. Okay. And uh, I'm sure it's going to take some tinkering because. It, mustaches are, are they're delicate, and you got to have just the right stuff. What are and, you talking uh, about? They're delicate. I saw that well one. Well, they on your are. Face. There's nothing delicate about that one <laughs> on your face. You could use that one on your face to scare pots with. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I don't have a Joe Colonna. I got a Snidely Whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's certainly a massive one. Now, I'm going to switch uh, tracks here real quick because I told people I wanted to speak about something really important uh, tonight, important to their rifle marksmanship skills, and that's dry firing. Uh, I'm not sure that I mentioned it very much on the radio show, but I hammer it at the events that we have, and I'll tell you why. With the current uh, cost of ammunition, Ammunition is absolutely uh, unbelievable. You know, if you if you would have known where we were going as far as ammunition prices, uh, you know, go, uh, ammunition is doing better than any precious metals or gems as far as uh, the value. You know, if you invested uh, uh, in uh, ten thousand dollars worth of uh, South African uh, battle packs. Uh, in 308, if you would have done that three years ago, uh, you'd be sitting on about 40 grand right now, which is uh, a very smart uh, increase in in price. However, if you didn't, then you're still paying four to five times that amount for that round now. So every time you pop off a round, you're you're going to be you're going to be uh, liquidating uh, approximately 75 cents, depending on on what type of ammunition you're using. Uh, so, that's hard on the pocketbook. Not only that, well, let me explain dry firing first of all. Whenever you dry fire, you get down into your position. Uh, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't been to Appleseed, go to appleseedinfo.org and get, some, get the information there on how to get into position how to find your natural point of aim and shift it onto the target, how to fire the shot by the six steps. Get down into your position. Get down into a good prone supported position, and then you dry fire. Now, when you dry fire, your mind, your brain does not know the difference between a live round and a dry fired round until you receive the report and recoil. Now, by that time, You've already gained all the benefits you're going to get 
either live firing or dry firing. However, whenever you dry fire, you don't get the recoil and report. So you get to see right then and there how your uh, how steady you're holding. If you flinched, if you if that barrel moved, if that front sight moved off the target at all, you'll be able to see it then and there. You'll be able to call your shots. That means making sure that uh, you're taking a mental snapshot of where your front sight was when the trigger broke. You'll be able to do all of this dry firing. <clears throat> and it won't cost you a penny. I would consider a dry fire round to be the equal of, uh, of five to ten live rounds as far as the, uh, the benefits to your skill and technique. Now, as far as enjoyment, no. Uh, nothing replaces uh, that big bang and uh, seeing uh, a hole punch in the paper and a plume of dust raised in the air downrange. Nothing replaces that. However, when you dry fire, every time you dry fire a round, you're saving the cost of that round. You're benefiting by receiving the, the uh, uh, reinforcing the skills and techniques that you're using, honing them. And then what happens is you end up playing like you practice. And what I mean by that is when you get to the range, You've trained yourself to execute that shot in a certain way. And you're going to do it regardless of the fact that there's now live rounds in the chamber. You're going to execute that round in the same way you did when you were dry firing. If you build yourself up in dry firing, and I read a report of this recently. One of the folks on the forum had mentioned this about dry firing. And I can tell you that it's absolutely true because I've done it also. That is, you can go to the range... And uh, and fire a good, uh, clean, ten rounds into uh, a one-inch square, <clears throat> and then not go back to the range for three or four months, and repeat it when you get back to the range. But the only way you'll do it, the only way you'll repeat it, is if you've gotten down on the ground three or four times, five times a week, every single week, and dry fire. That's the only way that you're going to keep your skills current if you're not at the range. Dry firing. I'm telling you, it is absolutely uh, one of the most important parts of maintaining your rifle marksmanship skills. Sam, tell them how much uh, you agree with me. Oh, yes, I definitely agree with you. Uh, I get lots of days when I can't get out to shoot, and, and when I'm out on the range, I never get to shoot. But I dry fire every day, and I make a production of it. You say, uh, play like you practice. I practice like I play. Put my mat down on the ground, put on my jacket. I get slung up. I put my target down the end of the hallway. I use one of the reduced targets. I get to practice that NPOA shift nice and smooth. And I dare say that if people would follow the instruction, they could take themselves from a, a, a 120 score to a 180 or 190 score just by dry firing three times a week for a month, never firing a live round. It will bring you up very quickly, much faster than spending real time on the range. That's right, because <clears throat> what happens is whenever you get down to dry firing, and Sam is, what Sam is saying is absolutely correct. I mean... 
it sounds it always sounds a little bit hinky almost, but it's not at all. If you want to make sure that you're doing it right, you do exactly what he said. You get your mat down, get your jacket on. However you do it when you go to the range, that's how you do it in your house. You get everything ready. You do it just like, uh, just like in that movie Patton. You know when he's getting ready to go to battle, and he's getting dressed, and he's getting dressed very methodically. He has his aide there with him, helping him to put on his jacket, helping him to put on his helmet, his gloves, his pistol. Everything just perfect. The same thing, you do the same thing when you're getting ready to dry fire. It didn't take that long. You put your mat down. You uh, get your jacket on, your shooting jacket, if you use a shooting jacket. You get your rifle, making sure that you are constantly obeying the four safety rules just as much in your house as anywhere else. And please, please, folks, ensure that your magazines are empty that your chambers are empty during uh, your dry firing. Don't don't shoot in your house. Make sure wife won't like it at all. I'm telling you. I'm telling <laughs> you it is, it is not going to be pretty and you're you're going to get in a lot of trouble for it from your own family, let alone anybody else anywhere else. Make sure that you're following the safety rules. And those safety rules We'll cover the dry firing in your house, too. Always keep your muzzle pointed in a safe direction. Do not load and guilt till given the load command. Keep your finger off the trigger until your sights are on the target and ensure that those around you are following the safety rules. Those are our four, our four safety rules. And I'll add to that, ensure that there are, is no live ammunition in the room with you. Double-check everything. Double-check all your magazines. Double-check that chamber. Now, you're going to have to pop the chamber flag out because you're going to have to actually uh, close that bolt, pop the safety off, and be ready to squeeze that trigger until the trigger breaks in order to dry fire the round. But you make double sure that there are no live rounds anywhere in there. Don't make the mistake of, uh, of having live rounds laying around there while you're doing your dry firing. That's idiocy. Make sure that you have a completely safe dry firing protocol. And then you get down in that position and you begin dry firing just like you're at the range. And just like Sam said, what happens is you develop a style, you develop a way of playing, a way of practicing, so that whenever it gets to be game day at the range, you play just like you practiced. And what's going to happen is when you're down there dry firing, you're not going to, you know, you know, there's not going to be a report and a recoil. You get down there with that Grand or that M14, uh, whatever you're using, you can get down there with that Mosin Nagant. I don't care what you got. You can get down there, and you can know that you're not going to get a uh, report and recoil. There's not going to come a big bang uh, that's going to shake you half the way out of the county. None of that's going to happen. So what does that allow you to do? That allows you to focus completely on this six-step two, firing the shot. Side alignment, sight picture, respiratory pause, focusing your eye on the front sight, focusing your mind on keeping the front sight on the target, trigger squeeze, and then follow through. Follow through by holding the trigger back and taking a mental snapshot of where your front sight was when the trigger broke. You can do all of that over and over and over, knowing that there's not going to be a report, there's not going to be a recoil, 
where there would normally be. That means you don't uh, you don't have to flinch. You don't have to buck or jerk. Or if you do jerk, you're going to see it. When you get down in that position, you begin dry firing. You don't just dry fire at nothing. You get you something you can actually uh, dry fire and make yourself a little target. Uh, if you don't have a target, use the uh, the bottom, the grounding part of the plug on your receptacles, on the uh, electrical outlets on the wall. You have the two slots and then the round hole below the two slots. That's the grounding receptacle on your electric plug. Use that for to aim at. Put that uh, little tiny hole right on top of the front blade of your rifle sight or the front sight, and you watch that, and you watch it. You keep your eye <coughs> focused on the front sight. You keep your mind focused on keeping that front sight on the target during the whole during the whole uh, six steps process, and then when that trigger breaks, you have your eyes open so you can see if did that front sight move at all? Did it move at all? Was it on the target where it was supposed to be when the trigger broke? And then you follow through. You hold that trigger back. Your universe freezes. Nothing moves. I'd like to pop in with a, with another little point on this, if I could, Scout. Go for it. One of the hardest things that we have trying to teach people regularly when they get out there on that range is shifting in POA. You have to be able to shift in POA when you shift targets. You need to reacquire quickly, and you need to keep your position solid. When you're dry firing, you have to manipulate that rifle. You have to cycle the bolt, pull back a cocking knob, whatever it takes to reset your rifle for that next dry fire round. And it's a perfect time to practice reacquiring that NPOA and maintaining a solid position. NPOA shift and acquiring NPOA will become second nature once you get into a good solid dry fire routine because you'll be reacquiring after every shot. That's exactly right. Now tell them how they check and see if they have their MPOA still. Line up the sights. Close your eyes. Take your normal breath for firing. When you reach respiratory pause, open your eyes. If the sights are still where they're supposed to be on that target, you've got it. If they aren't, you need to shift. That's right. That's exactly right. You get your sights lined up on that target. You go through your six steps to firing the shot exactly like you would at any other time when you're getting ready to fire the shot. When you get to the uh, to, to the point where normally you would begin your uh, trigger squeeze, so that's at your respiratory pause. Once you once you at that point where you would begin <coughs> your uh, your cadence, you stop. You close your eyes. You take your breath. You breathe in. You breathe out. You're breathing out to your respiratory pause. When you get to your respiratory pause, which is at the bottom of your breathing cycle, you open your eyes. When you open your eye, you quickly look to see if your sight is on the target. If it is, that's your natural point of aim. If it's not, you're going to need to adjust your body. You're going to need to shift your body to shift that natural point of aim onto the target. Now, in the prone position, you're going to use your non-firing elbow as your swivel point. That means that part of your body does not move. However, the rest of your body does. Just as you're looking at a, uh, like a uh, little plastic toy rifle, uh, toy soldier with a rifle, 
the toy soldier can't move. He can't, uh, I mean, he can't bend. You got that toy soldier sitting there, and you need him to uh, fire at a, a certain target. If you push that barrel over with your finger, you can bend that barrel over to where it's aiming at the target. But the minute you release that barrel, it goes back to where it wants to be, right? So you can't make the barrel go to the target by muscling it. You can. I mean, you can physically do it, and it'll look right to you. It'll look like everything is perfectly uh, the way it should be. But whenever you squeeze that trigger, the trigger breaks, the round fires, you go into recoil, that barrel has enough, you, you have enough time for that barrel to move back to where it wants to be before the round exits the barrel, okay? So it all looks perfect to you. However, you're going to get down there, and you're going to find all your rounds are nowhere near the target because you did not have your natural point of aim. So what you have to do is you ensure that you have your natural point of aim, getting down your position, lining up on the target, getting a good uh, supported uh, steady hold position in your prone position. Get that front sight on the target. Go through the six steps of firing the shot just like you normally do. When you're ready to begin your, uh, your rifleman's cadence, and that's when you would begin your breathing cycle that would take you into your rifleman's cadence. So we'd begin the, the process of firing the, the shot by the six steps. You close your eyes. All right, you've already seen that you're, you're where you think you should be. You close your eyes. Take a good breath in. Relax. Got to give yourself a little shake. Relax. Let that breath out. You get to your respiratory pause where you would normally take the shot. As soon as you get to that point, you open your eyes and see if your front sight is on the target. If it's not, make the adjustments you need to get there. And just like Sam was saying, dry firing, uh, dry firing will make you a pro. And one of the things you have to do, uh, just like Sam was saying, is you have to make uh, a natural point of aim shift in between targets. Uh, just as I was saying earlier, if you try and muscle that rifle over from one target to the other, then you're going to have tension on that rifle through, uh, through muscle being exerted onto the rifle. And that's not going to work. That's not going to work for you. <clears throat> However, you can get used to uh, putting different targets up at different, uh, uh, you know, uh, different spacings on targets, laterally and horizontally. You can put targets up, and you can teach yourself how much you have to shift to make a 30-degree uh, change from one target to the other, how much you have to shift just to make a 5-degree change, all right? And this is not something that you can put a ruler down and measure. Uh, you, you could, but what I'm saying is you're going to have to learn in your mind and through muscle and body and bone memory, you're going to have to learn how much of a shift or a scooch, as I call it sometimes, how much of a scooch it takes to move from one target five degrees over to the next target and keep your NPOA on it. The only way to do that is by practice over and over and over so that you know, not consciously, but you know subconsciously when you're going to make a two-degree shift or a five-degree shift or a ten-degree shift, you know how much your body has to move in order for you to shift that natural point of aim onto the second target. And the only way to learn that is by doing it over and over. That's the only way to learn it. 
uh, we can teach you how to get how to uh, how to acquire your natural point of aim and how to shift it onto the target. But only you are going to be able to teach yourself through understanding how it feels in your body on how much uh, of how much of a movement it takes to sh- to to get that uh, two degree or that three degree or that five degree shift from the first target to the second target to the third target to the fourth target. Only you're going to be able to uh, determine that through practice. And listen, dry fire is the perfect way to do it. Not only that, but you can't always get to the range. Just like Sam was saying a little bit earlier, you know, we're Sam and I are both instructors, which means we don't get to shoot anymore. Uh, and on a good day, I mean, on a bad day, we don't even get to instruct. You know, we're just uh, supervisors out there. But once, a, once upon a time, a long time ago, we used to shoot. And we used to love it. As a matter of fact, we still love it. And you can still replicate that feeling of shooting just like Sam was saying. You can get your mat down. You can get yourself geared up for it. You can uh, get that favorite rifle out. You get it in your mind that you're going to shoot. Get it, and get it in your mind you're going to shoot just like you're at the range. You hit the mat. Get a good steady shooting position following all the steady hold factors. Find your natural point of aim, shift it onto the target, check and ensure that that is truly your natural point of aim, and begin your course of fire, your course of dry fire. And then just like uh, Sam was saying, whenever you're dry firing, you're not going to have the, uh, the recoil or the gases to cycle that bolt. Uh, or maybe you don't have that anyway. Maybe you have just a bolt action or a lever action uh, rifle. You're going to have to break that position every time in order to cycle that bolt. You'll have to break that position every time. So you'll be breaking that position, getting back into the position, checking your natural point of aim, ensuring that you have it, and then making the shot by the six steps. I'm telling you. Let me tell them the part that will really get their family laughing at them, Scout. Uh, well, this is, this is some good <laughs> stuff, I'm telling you. Dry firing, it's absolutely, it's better than chocolate cake. Make your kid or your wife stand behind you with a copy of the line commands and a stopwatch. (laughs) Or you can tape it, and it does help. And don't forget to put your glasses on and your headset. And everybody in the house is going to laugh at you. Daddy's down the back hallway shooting again at nothing, but make it as close to real as you can, using everything that you can do, all the techniques. The only thing you don't have is the bang and the fuss. You can set the time. You can get practicing out there with your dry fire to where when you get into your time phases on AQT, you'll be way ahead of it. You'll never even realize it. There was a time limit. I don't even think about time limits when I practice because I'm down there dry firing, I'm working, cycling the rifle, making it go, and I've got it down where I can do that faster than I would with the ordinary course fire in the AQT. Oh, yeah. So the few times that I get to do it anymore, I'm done way ahead of time. I'm waiting for that guy to call a ceasefire. When are we going to call a ceasefire? That's right. <laughs> And uh, let me explain to folks, too. I know a, a lot of our listeners have already been to an apple seed. They already know this. Uh, but maybe there's some few, uh, few folks that don't. 
So I want to explain, too, and you can help me with this, too, Sam, is that uh, the whole reason of getting your natural point of aim, number one, your natural point of aim is where your rifle wants to fire the shot, okay? Don't get in between you and your rifle. Don't get in between your rifle making the shot, okay? Your rifle has a place it wants to fire. When you're down in your prone position, whenever you have the uh, position set up correctly, you have your sling on, uh, you have your body geometry correct, your rifle has a place it wants to shoot, and it will gladly shoot at that same place over and over. You can make that, that rifle will shoot almost through the same hole over and over. What you have to do is make sure that you've lined up where your rifle wants to shoot with the target. You make sure that you've lined up where your rifle wants to shoot with the target. And we gave you the drill on how to do that. You close your eyes, take a deep breath, give yourself a little shake, a little bit of relaxation, let that breath out. When you get to your respiratory pause, which is the bottom of your breathing cycle, you open your eyes and see if your front sight is indeed still on the target. <clears throat> now, the thing that I wanted to mention about this is that that is how you can maintain uh, accuracy during a rifleman's cadence, which is one round of aimed fire every two to three seconds. That's how you can do it. Because you're not going to have to try and find out uh, or try and drag those sights back to the target after each uh, shot. Whenever you go through recoil, you'll go through the recoil, you squeeze the trigger, bang, recoil comes, recoil goes. As you're receiving the recoil and releasing it, you're breathing in and then out. Now, when you get to the bottom of your breathing cycle, when you get to the respiratory pause again, you shouldn't have to make a single movement. That is where your sights will be, is right on your target already. That's why natural aim, one of the reasons that it's so important, is because you're going to take that shot. You're going to go into recoil. As you're riding through the recoil, you're breathing in, you're breathing out. You get to the end of the recoil, you're at the bottom of your respiratory cycle, and guess what? Your sights are exactly where they're supposed to be. That's why a person with a, an M1 can sit there and, sh and fire one round, uh, like one round every one and a half seconds, and they can all fit into a pie plate at uh, 400 yards. <clears throat> a rifleman should be capable of firing an aimed round. That's the round that hits his target at 500 meters every two to three seconds. And that's the, one of the ways that's... That's actually the only way you're going to do it is by having your natural point of aim. The way that you're going to be comfortable in natural point of aim is by practicing it over and over and over in dry firing. All right, now you've done that. You've been in your prone position. Now, guess what? There's, uh, there are going to be two other positions that we're going to work with you in uh, at Napple Seed. That's going to be uh, your prone position, your standing position and your seated position and uh, I can tell you right now that uh, the standing position is not bad because uh, every one of us if you've shot at all you've more than likely shot from the standing position because that's just a, a very normal position to shoot in you're walking along uh, you know you see the target you raise the rifle up and you pop around off while you're standing that's just that's normal. Every boy does it. Every everyone does it in standing. So that's uh, going to be one of your easiest positions to figure out. However, prone and sitting 
are not as normal. Prone is a little bit normal because at least uh, you sleep laying down every night, so that's going to be a little bit different. <clears throat> Once you've mastered your prone, what I'm going to advise you to do is to get down into the seated position uh, for 60 seconds or so uh, every night. And uh, the, the prone position, I mean the uh, seated position, is going to be a very uncomfortable position for most folks to get into. And I'll tell you right now, it's never going to be a comfortable position. Uh, you Very rarely will you ever hear the words comfortable uh, attached to anything in an apple seed. Uh, uh, what we're, all we're going to ask is that you work on it until you get it to be a sustainable position. What I'm talking about by that is a position that you can sit in long enough uh, and that you can sustain so that you can fire uh, through that course of fire. The uh, first time I think I got into a seated position, I got into a seated position, and it was so painful that uh, all I really thought about was just getting the magazine emptied so I could get out of position. I don't think I was really that worried about the target or anything else. Well, the answer to getting a position to become sustainable is to practice that position, to rehearse that position. That means you have to get down in that position. Don't get in it until you start crying, all right, because that just makes you sore, makes you start crying, makes you mad, and, uh, and you don't want to do it again. All right, so what you do is you get down into that seated position, and you sit there, and you say, I'm just going to be here for one minute, okay? So I can do that, no sweat. Get down in that seated position, you stay there for 60 seconds, <clears throat> Then you get out of that position. Okay, you're done. You're out of the position. You're done with it. <clears throat> the next night, you get down and you say, I'm going to stay in the position for two minutes. You get down in that position. You stay in that position for two minutes. All right, then you're done. You're done with it. You keep on doing this. Alternate uh, one minute and two minutes in that position for a week. Then uh, you can go to uh, two minutes or even three minutes uh, for the next week. Keep on doing it until it's not... As I said, it's not going to ever be comfortable, okay, but it will be sustainable. And the seated position especially is one of the strongest positions you can get into. Uh, I consider it to be just as effective, if not more, than the prone position for me. Uh, when I'm in a strong seated position, uh, I can squeeze that trigger. Uh, I can fire I can fire around uh, probably under one round every one and a half seconds, and it, it will be dead in the target uh, all day long because it's a rock-solid position for me. But it's not comfortable. I've just made it. I've worked on it until it is sustainable. So you get your prone position. Then you begin practicing your seated position. The same thing with the seated that you did in the prone. That means that you get into your, your seated position, you get set up on the target, just as if you were getting ready to fire a round. When you are ready to begin your uh, firing sequence, you close your eyes, take a breath in, relax a bit, let that breath out, get to the bottom of your breathing cycle where you would begin your rifling cadence, where you begin to take the shot, open your eyes, and see if that front sight is on the target. If it's not, make the adjustments necessary to bring it onto the target. Your natural point of aim, you have to have your natural point of aim no matter what position you're in. 
you will have to have your natural point of aim to make the successive shots to ensure that your rounds consistently impact with the target. It has to be in every position. You will have to have your natural point of aim, even in your standing position. And the same thing with the standing. You'll get used to finding your natural point of aim in the standing position and then taking those shots uh, in the standing with your natural point of aim and making the shifts. You need to make sure that you are rehearsing making your natural point of aim shifts going from one target to the next and then checking your NPOA again in each and every position that you're going to, that you're going to use, the standing, sitting, and prone. Go ahead, Time for another again. secret, Scout. Time for another secret. Hit me. I, I don't like it when people try to game the AQT, but we all like to be successful and we like to have the best probability of success. Uh, you have a limited time to do your rapid prone and your sitting. And if you have 50 seconds to do a course of fire and there are 10 shots in that course, and you're shooting at rifleman's cadence, the shooting only takes 30 seconds. So you have 20 seconds to get into your good solid position, moving from standing to sitting. You have 20 seconds to get into that position, get squared away, and get that natural point of aim. You can blow an entire 20 seconds and still have plenty of time to do 10 perfect shots. So practice that transition from standing to sitting, getting down there, spend the 20 seconds and learn to spend it wise, how to get lined up, make your transition smooth, drop right down into the natural point of aim, just the tiniest adjustment, and commence. So practice getting that position in 15 or 20 seconds, and the shooting you'll have plenty of time for. You'll never call ceasefire when you got rounds in the magazine. If you practice those transitions during your dry fire and practice getting into that NPOA quickly. That's right. And uh, I know you're talking about gaming uh, the AQT. And, of course, there there is no profit in gaming, gaming the AQT because we're not uh, – our organization doesn't do – shooting competitions, all right? The only person you're competing right. against is yourself. And gaming the AQT does nothing for your skills. Yeah, you can shoot the AQT faster. But that being said, there's still plenty of things that you can do uh, when you're shooting the AQT that actually works uh, not as a game on the AQT, but it works in real-life shooting and it will also help you keep your AQT scores high. And the AQT really only is, uh, for us, it's a diagnostic tool. How good is our uh, instruction reaching the, uh, the students? How well are we explaining uh, the uh, building a stable shooting position? How well are we explaining uh, finding your natural point of aim and shifting it onto the target? How well are we explaining uh, executing the shot by the six steps? And the only real way we have of uh, understanding this is by doing uh, some type of a of a shooting test to to diagnose the uh, the skill of the students, how well they're receiving it. Yeah. Now, it, it, that, that it's said, not a measure. Oh, of the, 
I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Scott. It's not a measure of the student. The AQT is not a measure of the student. No, it's a measure. It's a measure of how well I managed to teach them. That's right. Is how 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 well am I getting the point across that I mean to get across? It's not the student. The student, if if you got your if you gave them the skills like you meant to, uh, then the great proportion of the students. Uh, would be maxing the AQT out. If you got uh, <laughs> if you got everything across to them uh, that you intended to. But this lets you know <clears throat> how well am I uh, explaining uh, finding your next warning and shifting on the target. Am I doing a good job? Because if I'm not, it's going to show when I go down range and I look at their targets, it's going to show me that I'm not getting it across to them. So you have to make sure that you as an instructor are using the AQT uh, as a diagnostic tool for yourself to make sure that you know how well or uh, how uh, poor you're getting your points across. But there's still plenty of things that you can do, like I said, that aren't gaming, that I don't consider to be gaming, but uh, it will help you the same way as in real-life shooting. Things like having your magazines prepared. Uh, you know, on the AQT, you're going you're gonna to be uh, on two of the stages. You're going to be... Uh, changing magazines. You're going to be transitioning. I mean, you're going to be starting and standing and going to either seated or prone. You're going to be switching targets, which means you're going to fire on one target and then another target and then a different target. And at the same time, you're going to be exchanging magazines. You're going to be you know, using multiple magazines. So make sure that you, like during your dry firing, during your... Uh, your homeschooling, your teaching and stuff. Make sure that you're understanding your rifle system. That means if you have uh, like a Ruger 10-22, make sure that if it's pitch dark and you have your eyes taped shut, make sure that you can reach over and feel that magazine and just with a quick touch of that magazine, you know how the magazine is oriented. That means that you know how to, uh, how to pick that magazine up in the pitch dark and put it into the rifle and uh, chamber around. Uh, that's, like I said, I don't consider that to be gaming. I consider that becoming familiar with your equipment <clears throat> because you're going to need, at, no matter what type of a rifle system you're using, at some point it's going to need to be reloaded. At some point it's going to need to have some more rounds uh, fed into it. Another way to do that is by uh, putting a new magazine in. So make sure that you understand, I mean, uh, completely understand how that magazine is oriented, how it feels whenever you reach down there and pick it up. Know where it's going to be laying uh, whenever you're doing your dry firing or, or any of your shooting. Always know where your where, always know where your next magazine is, so that you never have to take your eyes off the target. You can just reach with your hand because you know where the magazine is. It's going to be uh, at the uh, it's going to be at the end of your reach. Whenever you put your hand down, that's where the magazine is going to be sitting, and it's going to be oriented in the right way. <clears throat> that's something that you're always going to need to know how to do. Make sure that you understand how that magazine comes out of the rifle. Make sure you understand how it goes in, so that without looking at it, you know when the magazine is seated properly. You know by the feel of it, how it's, uh, how it's seated, how it's released, that these things are all second nature to you. Because trying to fumble a magazine in or out of a rifle during a timed course of fire 
is going to get you nowhere. And the place to practice that is during that dry fire. And my point in gaming the AQT was learning how to spend your time and where you get the most benefit from it. Learn that transition smooth. Learn how to reload without looking. Set the magazine down in just the same spot so you can reach out and get it every time. Learn to load that rifle without watching it so that you know by the feel of it when it's right. And you'll know when your position's right because you will have practiced it. It'll be ingrained into you. And when you hear your tape recording or your wife or your child give that fire command for sitting, you're going to transition down so smooth. You're going to make that load so nice and easy. And you're going to make your transitions from left to the right target just as nice and smooth as easy because you practiced it and it's in your muscle memory. You've got it down pat. That's and right. shooting, you know, practical shooting in the field, sitting is one of the most important positions that you can use. A lot of times you're forced to use standing due to time if you're out hunting or whatever. But sitting is great because sitting gets you up above the grass. Yeah. And if I can get myself sat down and into a good position from a slow walk, I can I can get down into my sitting in, in the distance of one step in about two seconds, and I've practiced it enough in dry fire that I know I can just plop right down there. I'm in my position, and I'm ready to go. That's and right. Place to perfect it to dry fire. Do your dry firing, and uh, one of the things I want to make sure that uh, they understand the importance of it is one of the things that you mentioned there too, and that I always hammer whenever we're uh, at events is, don't take your eye off the target. Make sure that you know how to uh, release the magazine, know where the other one is, know how it feels to be oriented. Make sure that you can get that in and get the, the round shaver without your eye leaving your target. And why? Because this is a timed course of uh, events. That means if you take your eye off the target, you're going to have to spend some time, time that you could be better spent in getting your NPO away, uh, getting set up and everything else. You're going to have to spend some time reacquiring the target. And I'll tell you, during the, uh, <clears throat> during the time transition stages are the stages where we most often have crossfiring occurring. That's because the person takes their eye off of the target, and when they come back up onto the target, you know, the targets are uh, they're not that far apart downrange, and uh, when they come back up and they're under a time constraint and they're trying to get that shot off and uh, they end up firing at someone else's target. This is, uh, this is because of two things. One, because they took their eye off the target. Two, because they didn't have their natural point of aim. If you have your natural point of aim and you check it, you can't be on your neighbor's target, okay? You breathe in, you breathe out, you look at your front sight, and it'll be on your target if you've got your natural point of aim. There's no way it can be on somebody else's target. It has to be on yours if you got you if you indeed did get your natural point of aim uh, at the beginning. <clears throat> but make sure that your eyes don't leave your target uh, during the course of fire. I want to save them some money now, Scout. Okay. We're going to save you some money in a different way than you think. Obviously, you're not spending any money for ammunition with dry fire. What you are doing is learning to use that rifle well. You know, the standard is more than just being able to make the rifleman score. We like to be able to say, 
with an issue rifle and issue ammunition. And we tell people, bring what you have. Now, I'm blessed. I have the finest rifle that a person could ever have because I own an M1. But everybody doesn't have that benefit. And maybe you have a, an old 94 Winchester. And maybe you've got a Mosin Nagant. Those are perfectly good and serviceable rifles. My M1 isn't really any better of a rifle than any of those others. I just happen to favor it. But what you need to be able to do is to learn to master your rifle. Maybe you can only afford a $69 M44 and a Gant, and, and it, it's got a rough action and it doesn't have the sweetest trigger in the world. It can perform every bit as well as my M1 can if you learn to master the rifle. And you can do that in dry fire. If you have a, a, a rifle that's got a 12-pound trigger, and I've seen them out there, you can learn to do well with a 12-pound trigger just with dry fire. You learn to take up the slack. You learn to make that squeeze. You do your follow-through. Learn to master the equipment. And believe me, once you learn to shoot a rifleman's score with a a less than ideal rifle, anything else is easy. You can't buy success through having a, a $1,000 rifle and a $400 telescope and match ammunition. You cannot buy success. Persistence will gain you success. And you can put more persistence into that $69 and a Gantt than you can into an M14. Work it. Learn it. Learn to love it. Learn to make it act for you. Make it sit up and beg like a puppy dog, and you can do it. Master the rifle. <laughs> yeah, and then you can literally walk down the line and pick up any rifle on the line and shoot a rifleman's score. That's it. That's where we're getting to. I was just going to say that if you have a few extra bucks uh, and you can afford starting off with a uh, like a 1022, that's going to be a little bit better just to start off with because it allows you to uh, make uh, successive shots without breaking your NTOA. So it gets you to understand uh, how to make the shots first before you start breaking the rules. But the end of the game is just what Sam mentioned, which is you're able to walk up and down the line. You can pick up any rifle with iron sights, with uh, surplus ammunition, and you can shoot to rifleman standards, which is four minutes of arc. That's uh, putting ten rounds into a one-inch square at 25 meters in 60 seconds every time. And uh, you can do that with any rifle. And I'll tell you another story is that uh, on the day, you, you'll know when you have arrived at that point, whenever you can pick up an AK-47 and uh, you can fire the rifle in standards, you will know you have achieved that uh, plateau. Uh, you will, there's, there's no other rifle that you won't be able to pick up and fire the rifle in standards. <laughs> You know, any rifle can be mastered, and we make too much of, of the equipment that we take to the range. Uh, we all like to have a rifle that's easy to shoot well, but you will learn more by shooting a difficult rifle to standard than you will by using an easy rifle to standards. Oh, most definitely. You will learn more. Most definitely, and, and folks will tell you, too, that apple seed is not anything 
it's not it's nowhere near a uh, gear race. It's nowhere near an equipment race. Now that being said, it's not telling you that you won't find some of the sweetest rifles in the world in the Appleseed event because you will. But Appleseed is not uh, about gear. It's not about equipment. We have, uh, matter of fact, some of the guys even pride themselves on on being, uh, uh, you know, very uh, non-gear. Uh, we've got uh, Big D, who is a, an instructor here at the uh, Davila location, and uh, absolutely wonderful fellow. And his his whole gear includes uh, it's uh, one rifle and one five-gallon bucket, and uh, he doesn't even have a, He didn't even use a shooting mat. Uh, uh, for the first year, he took off his uh, shirt and laid it down. He had his rifle. He had a bucket. Inside the bucket, he has his magazines and ammunition, and a one-gallon jug of water. And uh, that was it. And he was there all day long with that. Uh, and his rifle was an AK-47. And uh, uh, and it looked about like it had gotten to the event by being tied to a piece of barbed wire and dragged here uh, <laughs> from a couple of hundred miles away. And he still manages to shoot the rifle and score with it. Why? Because, as Sam said, it's not the gear. It's not the gear. The gear will not save you. It's your skill that you develop as a rifleman. It's your your skill and your techniques that you perfect uh, that will take you uh, to the door of becoming a rifleman, which is 210 on the AQT. That will take you to that point, uh, to where your skills are, are that, uh, are consistent enough that you can pick up just about any rifle on the line and shoot the rifleman standards. Uh, Ten rounds in a one-inch square at 82 feet in 60 seconds. Four minutes of arc. That's what, uh, that is the standard of accuracy that we aspire to for our folks, and that's with a, any rifle with uh, surplus ammunition. We're not talking about uh, special high-gear optics or... Uh, or hand loads. Now, if you do have that, that just means that uh, you should be able to shoot uh, to uh, one minute of arc standards. Uh, the the skills and techniques we're giving you are the skills and techniques that uh, almost everyone has managed to somehow miss uh, in their shooting uh, in their shooting life, uh, or they've never had them presented all at once. And said, "Here's the whole bag." Uh, you may have heard one here or something else here, but unless you went to a school, then uh, then more than not, more often than not, you didn't get all of the techniques put together in one package. Uh, everything you need to know, which is going to fit into one of three file folders, and that's number one, building a stable shooting position, which is uh, how you have to start every uh, shot off with is building a stable shooting position. That's uh, whether you're standing, seated, sitting, or in prone, you still have to have a stable shooting position. Number two, finding your natural point of aim and shifting it onto the target. Okay, your rifle has a place it wants to shoot. It always has a place it wants to shoot. In order to make the shot, you're going to have to ensure that you move the rifle the place it wants to shoot, move it onto the target. And number three, executing the shot by the six steps. Now, these six steps that we teach you in Appleseed, it's not something that we cooked up. It's not something that we said, hey, listen, uh, we developed this super secret way of shooting 
uh, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna lay it on you now. This is uh, this has been around uh, for four or five hundred years now. All right, all we've done is distilled it down into a clear, drinkable uh, technique that you can under easily understand. That's all we've done. We've made it uh, very simple and sharp and executable. So everything you're going to do is going to be one of the three basic things required to make the shot, which is building a stable shooting position, finding your natural point of aim, and shifting it onto the target, and then executing the shot by the six steps. <clears throat> All right, now listen, if you want to call in, the number is 347-308-8790. 347-308-8790. And if you don't call in, then Sam and I are just going to keep talking, because I'm having a pretty good time with this. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love... I love talking about making the shot. I love making the shot even better. But if I can't do that, and I can't even dry fire right now because I've got a phone stuck in one ear, uh, I'm, I'm going to talk about it because I love making the shot. I love letting other people know how to make the shot. I love to see that light pop on when they go, wow, wow, I, I figured it out. I made it work. I got my NPOA. Look at this. Look at this. Look at the target. <coughs> you know, and all the you shots can- are touching. Now, they may not be on the target because we usually don't make side adjustments until uh, a little bit later in the morning, uh, or at least until you get your group down to, uh, you know, 10 to 12 minutes of arc. But once they once they start putting uh, these skills and the techniques together, and all of a sudden, bang, their groups shrink down, and it can be just in one course of fire. And you can see that light come on in their head and in their eyes, and they go, okay, I'm getting it, I'm getting it. And that is, to me, is a very enjoyable moment. They all say the same thing when it happens, too. When they get that group, they don't want to go downrange and look at it. They say, that felt right. It felt right. And it felt right because they were down into those positions solid. They were comfortable with the positions. They were familiar with their equipment, and it just feels right. You can tell what you have for a score and what you have for a group without ever going down range at that point because it just feels right. That's right. You can get you can pick up that rifle with confidence, get in position, load it, go about your business and, and know without a doubt where those rounds are. You'll know. And it will feel right. And they always say, It just felt right. Because it did feel right. You literally feel every round going down range into that target. You know it was right. You got that snapshot of the sights after it went off, and you know it was right there. You know it. And there's no getting around it, and they'll always say it feels right. There's no way you can describe it, but it just feels right. Oh, yeah. And... uh... This would be a good place to now introduce uh, the Rifleman's Cadence. <clears throat> now, the Rifleman's Cadence, we've already spoken to you about uh, making sure that you build a stable shooting position, finding your natural point of aim, and uh, then executing the shot by the six steps. Uh, and you can learn more about that at appleseedinfo.org. Appleseedinfo.org. We have plenty more uh, material there for you to look at. <clears throat> But 
Once you've, once you've gotten to that point, then normally what we tell you is to ensure that you're firing every shot at the rifleman's cadence. And what is that? That's one round of aimed fire uh, capable of hitting your target at 500 meters every time, every two to three seconds. Wow, that seems like it's fast, doesn't it? Well, it's not fast, it, but it is a rapid form of firing. And it, while it seems like this is not going to be an easy thing to do, at this point you've already set yourself up so that you can do it. All right? You can do it because you've built a stable shooting position, which means you're not going to move a lot. Your body's going to be able to accept the recoil and come back, or come back out of it ready to fire because you've also uh, learned to find your natural point of aim and shift it onto the target. That means after you make your shot, you will accept the recoil, go through the recoil, uh, and then when you get to your respiratory pause again, you'll be on target ready for the next shot. Okay, so that has, uh, that has allowed you to begin what is now called the rifleman's cadence. And how are you going to stay in that rifleman's cadence? How are you going to fire one uh, aimed round every two to three seconds? You're going to marry your uh, sequence, your, your firing sequence, to your breathing cycle, your respiratory cycle. <laughs> that means you're going to breathe in, you're going to breathe out, you get your respiratory shot, pause, take the shot. Breathe in, breathe out, get your to your respiratory pause, and take your shot. Now, I don't mean a very... Uh, a very long, relaxed breathe in, and then a very long, relaxed breathe out. I'm taking, I'm talking about taking a breath in, taking a breath out, at uh, just uh, a little bit more rapid, probably than a normal walking down the street breath. And that's going to allow you to take a shot every two to three seconds. That's going to be ensure that you stay uh, on time in your uh, during your timed events. <clears throat> It's also going to allow you to do what I tell folks is uh, shut up and shoot. That means you're going to stop thinking about making the shot, and you're just going to make the shot. Uh, usually at this point uh, on Saturday during the course of instruction, we've already given you uh, all the uh, information and the, the techniques that you need to make the shot. All right? And now... Uh, you've put them to use, and you've found that they do work, and they will allow you to make a good, consistent shot. But now they're actually working against you because you're sitting there thinking about every single step, uh, about, the, about your NPOA, about every single step, the six steps of making the shot. You're thinking about all this stuff before you make your shot, all right? So now it's actually impediment. It's actually getting in the way, getting between you and making the shot. So what we're going to do now, we're going to use the rifleman's cadence to shut up and shoot. And that means we're not going to think about making the shot. We're just going to shoot. Because by now, at this point, you've, you've already learned what it takes to make the shot. Your, your body is memorizing the things it needs to do to make the shot. And you're going to shoot. You're going to time your sequence, your uh, shooting sequence, with your respiratory cycle. And that includes the very first shot you make. When I say you're going to fire every round at the rifleman's cadence, that includes the very first one. And how do you do that? The same way. You marry 
the taking of that first shot to your respiratory cycle. That means whenever you're ready to take your shot, you've taken it all the time you need to set the shot up. Build a stable shooting position, find your natural point of aim, shift it onto the target, and then you've checked your natural point of aim. Whenever you say, I'm ready to take the shot, you flip that switch in your head, and you're going to take the shot. When it comes up, you're going to take the shot. And the way you're going to know when to take the shot is by using your respiratory cycle. You're going to breathe in, you're going to breathe out, you're going to get to your respiratory pause, and when you get to the respiratory pause, you're going to take the shot. Okay? You're not going to fuss the shot. You're not going to try and get even a better shot. You're not going to sit there and think about taking the shot. You're just going to shoot. And contrary to what this sounds like it will produce, you're going to find out that it, you've just shrunk your groups down uh, normally by 50%. That means if you had a two-inch group before, now you're going to end up with a one-inch group now because you're not thinking about taking the shot. Now you're shooting. So from once you get to this point and you start using the rifleman's cadence, every single <laughs> shot you fire from then on for the rest of your life, you're going to be shooting by the rifleman's cadence. You're going to ensure that you have uh, connected your respiratory cycle, your breathing cycle, to your shooting cycle, and you're going to fire a shot each time you get to your respiratory pause. Now, sometimes I tell folks uh, they think that things aren't going to line up or that things aren't going to, uh, everything's going to be ready at once, but your brain, your body is a very uh, complex machine, and it can do a lot more than you think that it can. Sometimes I have the analogy of uh, when folks say, well, you know, I, I want to do it, but it seems like when I get to my respiratory pause that it, I'm just not quite ready. And I tell folks, I say, the way you do it is you decide uh, when you begin this, when you, begin, when, when you flip that switch, you say, I'm going to take the shot when I get to my respiratory pause. I'm going to take the shot. The same way that if you and your friend uh, went out to a party, and uh, maybe you find out that the party wasn't what, it, what you thought it was, and you say, well, this is no good. I'm going to go. And you tell your buddy, okay, let's go. And he says, yeah, it's no good. And you start getting it. You go out to the car, and you open the door to get in the car, and all of a sudden somebody starts talking to him, and he starts talking to them, and you go, hey, let's go. I said, we're going. And he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he turns back around. You get in the car, and you start the engine up, and you go, let's go. And the guy goes, uh, yeah, 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 just a second. And at that point, you say, you know what? I'm going. You put the car in, you, you step on the gas, and he's going to say, whoa, 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 and he's going to jump in the window, and you guys are going to leave. The same thing with taking the shot. You tell your body, you tell your mind, when I get to the respiratory pause, we're going to take the shot. Okay, everybody? When we get to the respiratory pause, we're taking the shot. So everybody better be doing their job. They better have their stuff squared away. I want the front sight on the target. I want the trigger to be squeezed. I want to be in my respiratory pause. I want my eye focused on the front sight. And you can make it happen. Once you start taking the shot, instead of thinking about taking the shot, you're going to find that yourself in a whole new world. <clears throat> Back me up on that, Sam. Oh, yeah. It's all part of that feeling right business. Once you get into the rhythm, it's like driving a nail. If you're driving the nails and you're not keeping a steady rhythm with the hammer, they don't go. 
But if you have a steady rhythm, it's boom, boom, boom. You don't miss the nail. It goes right on. You picked it, you lined yourself up to begin with, with the first swing, and on the second one, it was all by feel. Boom, boom, boom. They'll go down range. It'll feel right. You'll go down to look, but you knew they were right before you ever got off the ground. You knew they were right because it felt right. I don't know if any of you remember that old uh, old song they had. Went with a, a, a opera called Tommy, about a deaf, dumb, and blind kid playing pinball. Yeah. Played by a sense of smell. You're going to get that way. You're going to shoot by a sense of smell because it just feel right. Boom, 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 boom. I don't have to look. I know they're there. I was lined up. I did it on my rhythm, which was my breath. It felt right at every shot. The target's good. It all builds on itself, and once you get that first one down, the rest of them all come on the breath with the rhythm. Boom. 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 Five times and you're done, and they're all there. Yeah, we got another of the instructors, uh, uh, Steve Raby. Uh, no, no, John, Lab Rat. Uh, he describes it in another way too. You know, he talks about uh, <clears throat> uh, like he'll take off uh, his shooting muffs and he'll point to somebody and he goes, "Hey!" and they'll look at him. He'll toss the the shooting muffs to him, and they'll grab him. You know, they'll catch him, and then they're looking at him like, "What do you do that for?" And he goes, "Well," he goes, "Here's why I did it." He goes, "Because what you just did, you just executed a very complicated." Maneuver, all right. You, when I said hey and pointed to you, first you had to uh, accept in your mind that I was talking to you to see that I was taking off my muffs, and then I had flung them into the air at you. You had to anticipate uh, their the arc that they would make to you, and you know mathematically uh, determine where it would end. Move your hands up to where the uh, where the ear muffs would be grasp them, uh, oh, first you need to make sure that your brain has to decide that uh, if it's a safe thing to catch, you know, if to make sure that he didn't throw you a cactus or a rattlesnake or something, and then, uh, and then catch them. Now, that's a lot of stuff to do, and it's a lot of complicated maneuvers, including uh, mental uh, decisions you have to make, <clears throat> and yet it's all done in less than one second. All done in less than one second. And yet your body and your mind is capable of doing it. They're capable of doing it even faster than that. Uh, so your body has a, is, is a very complex thing. And shooting, well, once we give you these skills and the techniques and you practice them for a bit, your body is usually good to go with the shooting. Usually it's, you know, you can think of it as, uh, uh, you know, the guy at the controls up in the head saying, okay, 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 we got it, we got it, we got it. All right? You just... You do the talking and walking and stuff like that. We're going to do the shooting here. And, uh, and trust in your, in your stable shooting position and trust in your ability to find your natural point of aim, shift it onto the target, and trust in your ability to execute the shot by the six steps. Weld that to your respiratory cycle, and you can fire in the rifleman's cadence. 
Uh, I'll tell you, Scout, uh, when you look at the AQT and the way it's set up and what it's designed to measure, and when it was set up and what it was designed to measure, we have to remember that this was a standard that we taught ordinary soldiers to use regularly up until 1942. I've got a manual for the Springfield rifle for 1942, and they're doing the AQT just like we are with a bolt-action rifle. Now, at that time, soldiers didn't get paid very much. They got paid $38 a month. You got a $6 a month bonus if you shot expert, and that's quite a bit of a bonus. They call it proficiency pay, and that's how an infantryman got pro pay was to be able to shoot experts. And I'll tell you, there were a whole lot of guys out there shooting experts for that extra six bucks a month. Anybody can do this. Anybody can do it. Doesn't matter if you're five foot two and weigh 92 pounds, six foot six and weigh 235, skinny, muscular, shaped like an avocado. Anybody can do this. You know, it was a standard written for common people. Any soldier was expected to be able to do it. And the standard was written that way, using rifles that are more awkward to use than what most of our people use. It was written for a Springfield rifle. Guaranteed, break in POA every round. But they did it. It's not unobtainable at all. Once you get the mechanics down and convince yourself that you can do it, you will do it. And it's not that hard. Several million people were taught to fire that course of fire to a very high standard. They had a low dollar. <laughs> they had a low dollar. Because well, believe me, as much as I like a Springfield, they're really not the easiest thing in the world to shoot. No, but I love them. I absolutely love them. And Wild Man at uh, Ramsher, I'm telling you what, he can work his to perfection. And one of the things I love about it is not only is he a, a sharp shooter there, but he looks the part. Uh, he is uh, dressed in uh, leggings, campaign hat, and uh, uh, the jacket. Uh, he's got a beard. He's old as Methuselah, and he can still uh, burn up the AQT with his bolt action uh, Springfield. Listen, we're just about out of time. Uh, I hope that uh, I hope that the guys in the chat, I uh, hope that everything went well there. Were you able to see the chat? No, I have to get off the chat to, to come talk okay. with you because my phone won't work in there. <laughs> right. Okay, well I hope that uh, the chat went well. Usually we have a ton of great instructors in there helping everyone out. I couldn't get on it tonight, but I want to thank you guys anyway. Sam, I want to thank you for all the help you gave me tonight. You you always call. You always give me a big hand in this. I hope that we've helped folks uh, understand uh, the importance of dry firing, uh, using it to uh, work out uh, a good, stable shooting position, finding your natural point of aim, shifting it onto the target, understanding how to get your NPOA shifts, and then executing the shot by the six steps, and then executing the shots in the rifleman's case. All right, thanks, everyone, and we will see you again next Tuesday. Uh, and until then, God bless you all. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Scout. And thank all you apple seeders out there. 
All right. We can't do it without you. 